At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and this is Bennett Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. It's great to have you here. Um, we have a very good show, and so please be seated. We will get um, down to business very quickly. Um, today is actually a significant day in history. Um, this one I might want to point out a few things before we jump in. Um, today is the day Washington crossed the Delaware, and I always never really knew quite what the significance of that was, other than that it's in the, depicted in a famous painting. But apparently, it was part of a sneak attack, and he crossed the Delaware and went to Jersey and, and got his first two major victories of the Revolutionary War. And so that event happened today. Um, we also have some birthdays I'd like to point out. John Stewart of The Daily Show, who's uh, one of the most famous alma maters of William & Mary College, and we'll have someone else from that school on the second half hour. Um, Gary Hart, who um, I've had the privilege of meeting several times, a very interesting gentleman, 
And um, you wouldn't have Bill Clinton if you didn't have Gary Hart. Uh, he helped remake the Democratic Party in the 80s, and um, he was kind of one of the intellectual leaders of the party. And I think you know, for Republicans right now, if you're looking at licking your wounds over the last couple of elections, um, you know, look at people like Gary Hart and Paul Songers, what they did in the 1980s. Um, you know, Bill Clinton didn't happen overnight. There were people that laid the foundation. And um, you know, the Republicans probably need someone like that as well um, to kind of get them back to um, the good health. So um, happy birthday to all of them. And uh, but we have um, some very weighty things to be talking about, um, all of which are going to be addressed um, next start of December. Um, the first is we're going to be talking with Phil Corwin, who's been a very good friend of the show, um, and he's the uh, counsel for the Internet Commerce Association. And and Phil's going to be talking um, to us about an upcoming conference. Um, it's the World um, Telecommunications. Um, conference that's taking place under the ICU was happening in Dubai and it's caused a lot of concern with the, the phrase uh, I call the segment um, danger in Dubai because people are concerned that the the world conference on internet communi- telecommunications could lead to a potential UN takeover of the internet and we have people up in arms Google's up in arms EU in the US and so without further ado Phil um, how are yeah, you today? Good, good afternoon, uh, Bennett, or I guess still good morning where uh, you are. And before we start, I do have to uh, comment on your introduction that my son just graduated from William Mary uh, this past summer and uh, just started a job finally, so that's a good thing. And uh, when I was a young man, my uh, father's uh, biggest client was a campaign finance manager for the Georgia McGovern presidential campaign. Of which, of course, Gary Hart was the campaign manager. So, yes, uh, and Bill Clinton uh, was a lot the of your introduction that I could relate to. Yeah, Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton managed Texas. I mean, a lot of veterans of that campaign. Um, and um, but no, he's a very interesting man, and <laughs> I've actually shared some laughs with him. Um, so, but it's good to have you on. The ITU has respond has um, has organized this conference, and. Um, and the goal is really the it's to set standards for telecommunications, and it's been a standards-setting body for a number of years. Yeah, it, it's been around for more than a hundred years. It's now a uh, international. Uh, of course, originally it wasn't affiliated with the UN and has been affiliated now with the U, uh, United Nations, but it predates the uh, UN by uh, decades. And and. Uh, uh, Traditionally, it was the technical standard-setting body to uh, connect various to uh, uh, align standards between national telephone uh, bodies, so that uh, one, so that there were common standards, so calls could connect across national borders, and and second, to determine, and this is probably the key thing, and and maybe the key thing, what's going on in Dubai. Uh, to figure out who pays who for those connections, for you know when a call originates in Russia and goes through a bunch of European countries and winds up being answered in the United States, uh, you know who, who gets paid what for uh, facilitating those connections. So it's it's a legacy agency from the old world of uh, landline, uh, from the, uh, the the legacy world of state telephone monopolies, which of course have been uh, dramatically undermined and and their revenues. Undermined by the uh, you know rise of digital technologies, uh, you know VoIP in particular 
people using computers to speak uh, internationally and bypassing those legacy phone systems. I know when I travel overseas, I never use the local phone. I use Skype off my uh, laptop to Same make here. calls. And, I'm uh, speaking so, to you now from the Skype. Yeah, um, and it's, you know, when you're overseas, a call back to the U.S. is two cents a minute rather than two fifty a minute. So there's a, a huge financial difference uh, so, uh, and a huge loss of income to those national telephone organizations. And in here, in, in, in just back up a little bit, in um, in the United States, you know, we have the um, the internet is regulated um, by the FCC, and you know there's a landmark decision with that more or less they they separate um, telecommunication services and information services. Um, there was a Supreme Court decision that did that, and that that it's that's kind of what led to how the internet is regulated somewhat differently and that's part of the whole net neutrality debate versus you know pure telecommunication services and right. that that's your core you know fcc type jurisdiction um whereas right you know, and providers of internet uh, connections are not uh, considered to be common carriers as they right are which you know which has important duties and um obligations and so what we're seeing here is the itu is making that pivot they're pivoting from being just a telecommunications you know, provider a regulator um, to actually they're trying to venture into information services and the Internet and for the first time. And well, yeah, uh, and, and to, to the extent that we know what the agenda is in Dubai, and a lot of, that, uh, a lot of the documents have been leaking out uh, recently to their embarrassment, both internal ITU documents showing their kind of paranoid uh, defensive mindset at the moment because of uh, criticism of their agenda and uh, and leaked uh, draft amendments from certain Arab countries from Russia uh, showing their intentions for uh, Dubai. What they do, uh, what appears at least some of the nations participating in the uh, upcoming December conference in Dubai want to do is extend their standard-setting uh, powers over the Internet protocols, which were developed back in the uh, 70s and the 80s here in uh, the U.S. by people like Vince Cerf and John Postel and become the common standards for uh, uh, Internet connectivity. And, of course, it's the lack of uh, pervasive regulation of the Internet and how it's structured that has really led to its phenomenal growth and adoption and flexibility. Uh, so there are concerns that uh, I-, I would say there's... Uh, Three classes of concerns here. One is that there's a concern that uh, ITU is kind of trying to grab away the functions that, he, uh, that are performed now through multi-stakeholder uh, bodies, particularly the engineer, Internet Engineering Task Force, which is part of the Internet Society, a uh, volunteer group uh, that said that steps and modernizes the basic connectivity standards uh, for the Internet, uh, as well as ICANN, which, of course, uh, uh, has a multi-stakeholder model for the domain name system and for the, uh, which is the internet addressing system that makes sure that when you go to a website or send an email, uh, it gets to the right place or you wind up on the right website. There's a concern about censorship that uh, if multi-stakeholder organizations like ICANN, in which governments have an advisory role but not in control. Uh, are replaced by the ITU that you'll get political control and it'll start uh, affecting uh, 
what's available to view on the internet, what what can be sent over the internet. Uh, it's clear from uh, events of the past few years that the internet can be used to uh, coordinate uh, uh, revolutions against existing governments and and all kinds of dissent at a lower level. And then, uh, you know, having mentioned the erosion of uh, revenues to these state telephone monopolies, which continue to exist, particularly in the developing world, there have been leaks of proposals to basically uh, require the uh, websites that get a lot of traffic, which are primarily in the Western world, to pay for the connections, the traffic they receive from other parts of the world. So basically be a, uh, uh, you know, Google, Amazon, et cetera, would be uh, looked to to start sending revenue to other parts of the world uh, just so their uh, residents can connect to those websites. Now, um, yeah, I've talked to people involved in who, who actually will be attending um, the uh, this, this whole summit that starts on the 3rd in Dubai, and their reaction to some of these proposals is that the lesson that some of these countries derived from Arab Spring wasn't that the Internet is a great source of democracy, but that it is something um, to be promoted, but that it is a weapon to be feared. And so they wanted to take control over the Internet so that um, it they don't lose control themselves. And it's it's kind of a telling you know, lesson that, that to see this great democratic movement all throughout um, the Middle East, and to think that the lesson to derive from that is to um, figure out how to stop technology um, when you know in the course of human events, you know, democratic movements you know, eventually succeed. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, you know the. The, the the task of trying to uh, censor information uh, that's accessed and sent over the internet is a formidable one. I hope one that's impossible uh, to achieve. Uh, you know, I don't know, for example, what the position is going to be of the Egyptian government in this meeting. You you, you know, that's the uh, most uh, significant uh, country in the Arab world to have undergone uh, change in government, facilitated to a large extent by. Uh, 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 Twitter and Facebook and other social networking uh, technologies. Uh, yeah, we've seen some uh, disturbing things in the last few days out of Egypt in terms of government uh, powers, but I don't know where they stand, but certainly the Saudis and other uh, Middle Eastern nations uh, do appear to be very concerned that uh, uh, what's uh, happened in uh, Libya and uh, Egypt and, and uh, certainly, you know, uh, what's going on in Syria, which is a very serious armed revolution, that the Internet facilitates that uh, type of thing. But I, I, it's hard to imagine that any any organized vote, you know, any majority vote for pervasive censorship could come out of this uh, Dubai meeting. I think it's something that has to be spoken out against, but I'm not sure uh, well, how realistic a, a threat that is. There is a theory, and... Um the theory is that there's enough there's you know basically you get anything in legislation through log rolling and that you know in exchange in return for the control um over the internet that the state actors want 
you know, they want to be able to, you know, censor. They, they, they're giving the ruse of certain security issues and wanting to, you know, screen for improper content, which is really, you know, should read as censorship. Um, in exchange for that, get, getting that, they'll give the developing countries, you know, more of a break on, um, you know, the, their share of the switching fees. And that's the concern that there might be some log rolling that enables some censorship regime to actually um, get get through. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I should note I'm I'm not uh, going to do I do attend ICANN meetings, but I'm I'm uh, uh, not on the kind of internet governance forum and the ITU meeting circuit. But I, I've heard those concerns expressed. I guess we'll just see. But I mean. Uh, uh, It'd be hard to imagine, uh, regardless of what the ITU says, that uh, that the United States or Western European governments or Australia or other uh, countries with major Internet presence to go along with that and start requiring, uh, uh, you know, money transfers from major uh, Internet uh, presences like Google to to these uh, foreign telecommunications uh, monopolies. I, I agree. Uh, it, it could, I don't know how that would affect it. I don't know. Uh, there is a fear it could lead to a fractured route. Uh, there's always been a concern about uh, losing the unitary route, which assures that everything uh, winds up in the same place. You know, if it was just a censorship concern and not a money concern and a power concern. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we've seen that in uh, countries with the resources and the will, like China, uh, they can... Uh, put up pretty formidable uh, firewalls to prevent their populations from having easy access to outside information. Uh, so uh, we, they don't need the ITU to practice internal domestic censorship. Uh, they do a fairly good job of that in China and some other countries on their own. But uh, I, I do think this is more about uh, perhaps resentment that the ITU's power is fading while uh, – and the power has shifted to multi-stakeholder organizations where governments uh, aren't the only ones with a vote and a voice. And uh, this whole uh, income loss that these state phone monopolies have uh, suffered, but, you know, that's just uh, uh, the, the way of the world. Technology, The Internet's a very uh, disruptive technology, and it's disrupted all kinds of industries, and it's disrupted the old phone system and replaced it with something that's, frankly, better and you know, phenomenally less expensive. Well, we're going to talk about it a little further after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Actually, I signed us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. 
I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Happy Holidays. Whoa. Happy Holidays. Whoa. That's about the best singing we've ever done on the show. Yeah, when I don't say words, it really comes out great. Yeah, we're Michael, Neil, and Lord. We're off the LinkedIn rock stars. Yes, happy holidays, everybody. We've, we've so much enjoyed being in front of you and being part of your lives, I hope. Yeah, and I hope you listen to the show. Hope you enjoy it, and happy holidays. From all of us to all of you, webmasterradio.fm. Wishing you happy holidays and a prosperous new year. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking about the danger in Dubai of a U.N. takeover of the Internet. And we're talking to Phil Korn, um, a frequent guest on this show. And, um, Phil, I thank you for joining us once again. Um, so... Right. So far, the reaction has been quite strong, um, both at the governmental and non-governmental level. Um, we've seen the EU actually pass a resolution condemning it. Um, House Republicans have acted. And now Google actually has launched an ad campaign. Um, so what is, what's no, your that, take on I think this? it's encouraging that uh, there's been, uh, certainly in the U.S. broad uh, uh, Bipartisan opposition to this idea of ITU uh, displacing ICANN and IETF and uh, uh, enabling uh, censorship, and uh, uh, most of Western Europe's in the same uh, position. And uh, but but you know it's uh, uh, I don't know the vote count in Dubai. My sense is that uh, uh, the negative forces may have uh, uh, may have the votes, and they're going to have to be persuaded not to go that far. Uh, by the folks who uh, uh, actually have most of the major websites and uh, a much larger proportion of their populations uh, connected to the Internet. But uh, we'll see what happens here. There is considerable concern about the outcome here. I mean, and that's, that actually begs the question, the fact that, because earlier on, the U.S. was just poo-pooing this whole notion that, you know, this could even occur, that sure, someone might propose it, but... You know, nothing's going to happen. You know, it's kind of like the idea of Butler making it to the NCAA finals, and um, and and slowly you're seeing a response by the U.S. and this you know intensive campaign by Google suggests that you know, maybe these guys are in the red zone, and that's what that's the concern. Well, uh, you know, I think part of that no is just uh, the diplomatic <laughs> mindset and and trying to downplay. Uh, Conflict and division, uh, at least publicly, 
but certainly as the uh, meeting has gotten closer and closer, and particularly as more and more documents have leaked out with proposed, uh, you know, where people have seen amendments that will be proposed and, and seen the mindset of ITU officials, the, the more we know about uh, the agenda, the greater the concern has grown. Yes, definitely. And um, so the question really then is, um, what's was the gambling? <laughs> what is it? I'm going to Vegas later, so you know what what is the what's the gambling odds on this? And and this is something so significant to the economy, we should we shouldn't have to gamble. You know, again, I think the real question here is if if they go really far and want to uh, supplant uh, IETF and ICANN, I can, I I think. You know, the real danger is, is a split route where, where the developing world and these countries that are pro-censorship and pro-government running everything on the Internet going one way and uh, the U.S. and Western Europe and similarly minded countries going the other way, and, and uh, uh, that could be a rather chaotic situation. Uh-huh. Yes, definitely. So um, we only have a, a few minutes left. So why don't you uh, give us an update on what's up, what's going on with um, your your organization, ICA? Well, yeah, I want to mention two things for your listeners to be aware. And one of them is uh, that uh, I think people probably are aware by now that ICANN has an ongoing uh, program to introduce new top level uh, generic top level domains. There's only about twenty one now. They received applications for nineteen for nineteen hundred uh, uh, new t- GTLDs, of which fourteen hundred will be unique. Uh, but what I've been most engaged in is that the intellectual property con- community, the the uh, new GTLDs, will already have additional trademark rights protections for uh, trademark owners against cyber squatting that go beyond anything we have. At the moment, uh, but yet they continue to press for even more and more. And I think the most dangerous one is something that's very much akin to what would have been accomplished by SOPA if we hadn't killed that bill, which is uh, uh, taken down domains without adequate uh, due process. Or actually, they're now pushing one uh, uh, proposal, which would actually give trademark owners a right of prior restraint to prevent domain registrations of. You know, just presuming that they're going to be used in bad ways before they ever exist. Right now, you can get a domain taken down either through ICANN's arbitration system or uh, litigation if you can show that it was registered and is being used in bad faith. But uh, they're pushing this blocking concept that would allow trademark owners to block domain registrations uh, of Domains that are not exact matches of their trademarks that may uh, uh, be related in other ways without any showing that they're going to actually be used in an infringing manner. And uh, while these rights protection mechanisms are supposed to protect existing legal rights, uh, I don't know of any uh, right of prior restraint anywhere in intellectual property law for patents, trademarks, or copyrights. So this is... uh, well, we're pushing back hard with other ICANN constituencies uh, against that notion, and we'll see what happens. But I think your your listeners should be aware that there's a debate going on right now within ICANN, the multi-stakeholder organization, which could introduce to the domain name system something akin to the domain censorship that was uh, uh, stopped when uh, the SOPA legislation was blocked. And the other big thing we're engaged in right now is that... Uh, 
the Department of Commerce is reviewing the uh, contract that would let VeriSign continue to run dot com. Uh, that uh, the current contract was awarded as a result of litigation when VeriSign sued ICANN back in the middle of the last decade and frankly got a real sweetheart contract out of it where they can uh, basically never lose the contract and uh, it's never put out for competitive rebid and they can keep raising prices for dot-com domains without any showing any need. And uh, we just sent a letter to Department of Commerce and the Antitrust Division of Justice uh, urging them to uh, only approve that uh, dot-com agreement to let Verisign keep running it if they reduce dot-com wholesale prices by $2, which would bring them down to the same wholesale prices dot-net, which is run by Verisign out of the exact same facilities using the same servers, the same employees, the same technical infrastructure, and to only let them increase prices uh, without showing a real need to do so uh, by letting them raise prices in accord with CPI increases. But otherwise, they have to, uh, uh, you know, justify it. And in researching this letter, we found that in the last two years, VeriSign has uh, distributed close to $1 billion in special dividends to its shareholders that it's sitting on a cash pile of $1.4 billion and has earmarked just over half of that for stock buybacks to get its stock price up higher, not to uh, make any investments in its system, and yet it's fighting. It doesn't seem to need more money, and yet it's fighting for the need to continue raising dot-com prices without justification, which could lead to prices. Uh, the, the proposed contract would lead to prices going from 785 wholesale to ten dollars and thirty cents per domain over the next uh, well, six years, so a rather significant increase. Thank if you, the, Phil. Uh, government doesn't um, protect consumers in this. We we're out of time on this segment. We have to switch over. But Phil, thank you very much. And um, thank you, Bennett. Holidays to you. If I don't talk to you, and thanks for this information. And um, we'll definitely be going to Veriscience Christmas party since they're loaded with cash. But um, everyone, Phil Corwin, um, and uh, um, always good to have you. Thank you. We're hey, good talking to you. Happy holidays. Bye-bye. Take a short break, and we'll be back. We'll be talking about Congress taking on big data after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How much time do you spend on SEO research and competitor analysis? What if we told you that there was an easier, faster way? Searchmetrics SEO software propels you to top positions on search engines around the world with our unique global search, social, and competitive data in over 60 countries. Gain a competitive advantage today with Searchmetrics.com. That's Searchmetrics.com. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. IRN USA Radio News, I'm Hope Duggar. Is the U.S. Embassy in Pakistan running ads that condemn an anti-Islam Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. 
Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Hi, this is Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group and your host on Market Edge. Wishing you and yours a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, and a happy 2012. From all of us to all of you, WebmasterRadio.fm. Wishing you happy holidays and a prosperous new year. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and um, we're going to be talking about um, Congress's Wading into the great debate about big data, and um, also we talked earlier about the upcoming conference next week with um, the ITU in Dubai. Well, at the end of next week, the um, Federal Trade Commission is going to be holding a conference on um, big data themselves. They're going to have a, a further continuation of their ongoing series on privacy, and so they're going to be having a conference as well. So. Um, very topical issue, and we have with us um, someone who knows very well about big data. We have William Sullivan. He's the vice president and GM for the public sector, uh, Informatica, and um, they're based out in Silicon Valley. But we are talking to William from his native state of Virginia. William, Good afternoon. Yes, I'm with you. Good afternoon, Bennett. Thank you for having me on your program. William is a graduate of the College of William Mary, whose most famous alma mater, I mean, most famous alum, John Stewart, is celebrating a birthday today. So, hats off to all of you. And um, so, most um, of us would us. say he he's the second. He he plays second fiddle to uh, John, George Washington, also a graduate of the college. But I, I, I'll tip my hat to John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, we were just mentioning at the top of the show that today is the day he crossed the Delaware. So, very good That's day right. for your school, uh, all in all. Now, um, let me ask a, a very basic question. And what is big data besides um, bigger than small data? So, there, there's two ways to address that. First, there's the technical definition. And then um, the man on the street who listens to the technical definition, his eyes are gold, will glaze over and he'll likely turn the channel. So I, I'll give that definition second. But here at Informatica, we look at big data as the confluence of three different trends in, in computing. It's the interaction of big transaction data, which is OLTP and OLAP uh, data, big interaction data, which is all the social data, everything from Facebook, Spoke, Hub, et cetera, that's out there, and then as a result of those two, the big data processing. And that allows 
taken in aggregate, that allows uh, companies and governments to determine the behavior, the likely predictive behavior of consumers. Now, what does that mean to the man on the street? You know, the, you say you start talking about heterogeneous data sources and predictive analytics, and they just say, yeah, that's very nice. I'm going to move to the next subject. What this means to the man on the street, if you think back to when we were kids, you, you could look closely at a black and white or a color TV, and you see the little pixels on the screen. Right. And you could see them kind of move. Okay, 10 years ago, that was marketing data. Marketing data always is sort of a collage, and it, it, it forms a picture. B- big data is to that what uh, what the plasma TV what the plasma TV is to the old pixels on a black and white TV. Big data provides so many pixels that it gives you a much more refined picture of an individual and what their what their interests are and as a result what their likely behavior is. Now this is very important to business because business can then refine their marketing campaigns to provide you with uh, products and services more likely to spark your interest. An example of this is, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy running triathlons, which is not to say I'm a great triathlete, but of all the midlife crises you could pursue, that's probably one of the most enjoyable. And I, I so I went out and I bought some, some gear online. The next thing I went to my Facebook page, all the advertisements on the right side were coincidentally about triathlon based interests, whether it's coaching or products and services. So that's an example just of how big data works. They collect what you buy online and then try to market to you topics of interest. So, so from, from a very high level, that, that is what big data is. That's why it is relevant to the individual and how it is relevant to business. And, and what has happened is there's been a, a technology boom of which Informatica is a leading part that allows the aggregation of that data that's it's 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 resident in a lot of different places that's when we talk about heterogeneous data sources it's resident in different systems different companies and whenever somebody goes online and goes to different websites these data brokers can gather that behavior and try to try to determine what might be of interest to you collectively that's what's known as big data and then informatica's role in big data is we provide, we're the leading provider of what's called data integration software. So uh, if, if, uh, a company wants, if a company wants to integrate two different data sources, say an, uh, an IBM DB2 database with an Oracle database running on an HP platform or a Sun platform, we can take all the data, regardless of its location, regardless of its type, and aggregate it into one central place. And it allows then companies to make a much more informed decision about how to go to market, where do they make their investments, and how do they better serve the needs of their customers. So um, for some people, for example, you you mentioned your uh, Facebook thing, uh, seeing the ads for the triathlon, where where frankly, I don't know why Budweiser didn't have an ad saying, dude, what are you thinking? Um, (laughs) But... um, some people see the convenience of that, and then there's the other aspect that always comes up in behavioral targeting, which is sometimes referred to, um, thank, you know, courtesy of Dave Morgan, you know, the creepiness factor. You know, some people just sure. don't like the idea that you know someone's watching me, you know, albeit with my own, you know, because of my own actions, and and so that is created a debate in, in Congress, and um, right. to what extent you know are 
should this be done and to what extent are people aware it should be done and and how do you connect the two? How should people be made aware this is happening? And and so Congress is, is not right now is somewhat concerned that the consumers aren't fully apprised of really what is being done. And what's your assessment of where, where Congress is on this at moment to moment? Well, when you, when you consider the, the figures I've seen, there's over 500 million consumers that have had data collected on them that are having a, a profile of, the, of them built by these data brokers. So, yes. so clearly that's, that's something that is of concern to, to a lot of people, and I think rightfully so. Um, in Congress's interest and government's interest to it is, is, is really threefold. First, it's privacy. You know, just because I go online and buy a pair of running shoes doesn't mean I grant you a license to know everything about me, my behaviors, my interests, my income, my location, my family. Right? I just want a pair of sneakers. So, you know, Americans, I think, have a reasonable expectation of privacy even when they're online, if they're just, you know, engaged in private conduct. And the second interest Congress obviously has, it has to do with security. You know, the whole issue of, um, of fraud and, uh, ident- and uh, ID theft is a huge one, and it costs businesses and consumers billions of dollars every year. So Congress is looking at it, and they're saying, okay, you know, exactly how are you aggregating this data? What are the tools you're using? How are you storing it? How are you securing it? And then how are you using it um, uh, to, to benefit yourselves or to benefit your company? So they're trying to get some clarity on that. And then, of course, the third component to it, and you know, a bit more of a jaundiced eye, that data has extraordinary value. So Congress looks at it and says, how do we monetize it? And ultimately, how would we tax it? So how do we regulate it, and how do we secure it, and how do we tax it? So there's, there's really three interests on behalf of Congress. And, and where they are with big data is a little bit like where they are 10 years ago with the Internet. How do we, you know, secure it, manage it, and ultimately, you know, you, you start to see some Internet taxation come out. So it's, it, this is really the next phase of that. But, but people, as I say, people have that reasonable expectation of privacy. So government has become involved with the whole topic starting back, uh, back in 2010, actually. The uh, FTC, Federal Trade Commission, uh, did a study which was released in March of this year, so it took them about two years to put it together. And, and they came out with a couple, about five broad guidelines, and they, they, they recommended uh, technology vendors, the browser vendors, do not track people's behavior online. I, you know, again, I think that that, that, that horse is out of the barn. Uh, it's offering, it's, it urges companies that have mobile services uh, that they work towards privacy protections. Again, the access to mobile people use access to data by people using mobile devices presents some unique security concerns. Um, the data brokers—they're asking that the data brokers make their operations more transparent, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then the large platform providers that have have all this data resident—they're looking for those folks to to become more open in how they track online behaviors. And finally, they're promoting enforceable self-regulatory codes. The FCC is, 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 is working with the Department of Commerce and some other ones to issue codes of conduct. But as a result of that study, and then as a result of some articles which appeared largely in the New York Times, Congress opened up two areas of inquiry. Um, first, on the House of Representatives, ironically, you had two, uh, uh, two folks who typically would not be working together uh, Democratic Congressman Edward Markey from Massachusetts, and then Republican Congressman Joe Barton from Texas. And they opened an inquiry back in July. 
Barton's kind of a privacy hog, though. Yep. And, 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 and as far as I'm concerned, good for him. You know, it, again, the, the, the technology is value neutral, Bennett. It, it's how we employ it. You know, so oftentimes the public policy discussions evolve around just because we can do something, should we? And so trying to define what implementation of technology is in society's best interest balanced against what is legal and what is within, you know, businesses' constitutional rights to, to run their businesses is a difficult challenge. So, um, but, 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 yeah, you're absolutely right. Barton is a policy, is a, is a privacy hawk, and, and then, so they opened up one inquiry, and then, of course, back in uh, October, Senator Jay Rockefeller issued uh, letters to nine different uh, data broker companies asking for clarity on their operations. And the response by industry has been interesting. It has varied from, um, you know, the, the, the head of the uh, Direct Marketing Association, actually she's the acting chief ex- executive, characterized the senator's investigation as a baseless fishing expedition, probably not a wise decision to openly antagonize the Senate like that on such a, an openly contentious issue. But some of the other vendors have been much more forthcoming. Axiom and uh, FCO both provided Congress long, detailed discussions of their operations, how they go to market, and where they gather their data. So what's going to be interesting as this conversation continues is Congress's understanding of how data should be managed and how it should be protected. And, And one of the ironies is that the government probably has the most stringent requirements in place for the security of data. So in other words, you know, the IRS, the Centers for Medicaid Services, they are all very careful about what data can be shared and when, what must be masked, what must never be shared, everything from social security numbers to specific medical diagnoses. So Congress will in all likelihood be looking at the operations of these commercial entities in light of how they already have asked the agencies to run and then look to, to put in place similar protective restrictions on the use and the transmission of data. Would, would that be workable? I mean, obviously there are certain reasons you would impose restrictions on government that are unrelated to commerce. And, yeah. um, and so to what extent would, they, would that be translatable? I, it, it, it's going to require an ongoing conversation between the, the between commerce, between the commercial entities, and between Congress, and hopefully it would be one that is not contentious, because clearly there must be some restrictions put in place for the protections of the citizen, and 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 not just, um, you know, not just because of the sake of uh, of fraud. I, I think I saw twenty eight thousand people wrote into one of the data brokers asking that their data be removed, and only 35 wrote in to say to make a correction on what information was with that data broker. It, it highlights the concerns that, that the average citizen has about the, about the establishment and growth of this, of this data. So how, you know, how, will, uh, how will that intersection between private, private behavior and public policy come about? I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of interaction between industry and Congress over the next year. You know, at the same time, I mean, 28,000 in a population of 311 million, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's not exactly the glass half full. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Um, but, but again, you know, that, that's, that's the small subsegment of people that are even aware of how much sure. data is being collected about them and then are aware that, you know, the Direct Marketing Association has actually set up a campaign designed to um, afford the citizens the opportunity to contact these data brokers and either expunge or correct the records that are being held. And what does that say about marketers? Should, I mean, if, what was the number of people who corrected? I read something around 28,000 wrote in. Maybe and and then only about, uh, only about 35 wrote in to, to, to correct information that was already right, on so file. Right, so if you're losing 28,000 to 35, you know, which um, in the old days used to be the start of a Los Angeles Clippers game, um, but if you're, losing, <laughs> if you're losing by that much, um, you, does that mean that the marketers really need to do a better job at explaining the value proposition? Yes. Clearly they do. Um, you know, and, and I thought about it in advance of this, this interview. Um, I re- refinanced the house a little bit earlier this year, and when I first went online just to see, you know, what was out there, before I knew it, there was, you know, 10 or 12 different offers from mortgage companies saying, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, uh, if you're thinking about refinancing, here's, here's our deal. And, and th- there really is tremendous value to the citizen in being able to gain access timely, concise access to information that you need. The question is, you know, there's a couple of questions there. First of all, how much is, is enough? And again, that's a purely political question. But, but the second thing that, 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 that a lot of these data brokers are starting to run up against is there are already strictures in place for the use of data when creating a credit report. Mm-hmm. And so the FTC enforces those fairly carefully um, if the data being gathered by a marketing broker is used to segment the market and to, to qualify or disqualify somebody for a credit rating, then that's a violation of the law. Right. So you start to see where there are already where there are already strictures in place. So the question is, how do we amend those such that people get the information they have a, a right to get? Um, business is free to market as it's. Uh, constitutionally allowed to do within within the confines of the law, and yet Congress is protecting the privacy and the security rights of the citizens. It's a complex question. And then you, you, you're going to see – one, let me back up. Do you think you'll have um, much of a – assuming that um, the current FTC chairman steps down and that Julie Brill, as, as often is rumored, um, takes over, do you think you'll see much of a shift in the FTC's position on data brokers? Um, you know, they, they seem to be taking a fairly, let's just say they're paying very close attention to the behavior of that industry. And uh, I would expect to see that position continue, if not be enhanced, simply because I think that, as, as, as you see the interest on the members of the Congressman, Congress, this is a bipartisan issue, and this is a concern on behalf of most American citizens. Um, we can appreciate the fact that the technology is there, that we want and need information that's relevant to us, but not at the expense of uh, an overweening invasion of privacy. Um, so I would expect to see the FTC continue, if not um, uh, accelerate enforcement of, you know, data guidance, data guidance rules. But it, I, I do get the sense that this has been a very important issue for her, that um, you know, she has been very vocal on this issue. Yeah, it, it, it well again it's a, again looking at strictly at politically it's it's a political winner. It's bipartisan 
and uh, it speaks to something that is of critical importance when you consider um, you, know, you know the losses and the risks uh, as a result of uh, identity fraud and people holding these uh, you know holding all this detailed information about individuals. And I guess people are always worried or afraid of uh, you know uh, an, a, a data version of an Exxon Valdez. And I don't Entirely know. We possible. haven't had it yet, fortunately. But you know that that you know that could definitely spur the debate um, further. <clears throat> um, now, if people want to learn more about you know inform, inform, uh, <laughs> inform, <laughs> Informatica, and uh, um, it's easier if I say it fast, and, and big data, what's the where, where do you recommend they go? The best the best is our corporate website, Informatica.com. Um, as I say, we're about an $800 million company. We're publicly traded based in Redwood Shores. We actually do provide much of the technology to America's Fortune, Fortune 1000 companies, as well as to a lot of leading government agencies that, that allow this data integration. But, again, part of the reason um, you know, I was invited to your show is I, I have a unique perspective in seeing how government already handles these questions and what might be, uh, how it might transfer to the commercial world. But Informatica.com is probably the best place to learn about our suite of offerings and the services that support them. Well, I want to thank you very much, and I appreciate you joining us. It's certainly been informative. And um, so um, to everyone, check, check them out. Um, they have some good background information on their um, YouTube page also about big data as well. So um, thank you very much, Bill. It's been a pleasure having you. Um, when we signed off last week... Um, we mentioned uh, that it was Thanksgiving Day was coming up, and uh, I mentioned um, Feast on East. It was the 84th um, rendezvous between my alma mater, LaSalle Academy, and East Providence Academy. And I'm proud to say LaSalle Academy won 34 nothing, and is playing this evening in the state playoffs. So go get them, boys. And um, it's been a pleasure having you today. Um, I hope you enjoyed our session. We'll be talking more about these issues next week in light of the FTC and the ITU conferences. So um, stay tuned. We're going to have a lot more on that, and, and this is just the beginning of that discussion. And so I want to thank everyone. Um, this is Bennett Kelly. I'm actually leaving to go to Las Vegas, where I'll be participating in the Cyber Law Leadership Summit with a lot of my fellow um, cyber lawyers, and uh, look forward to seeing all of you. And um, so hopefully we'll, I'll share some of the information we learned today with them. But um, I will be also presenting on cyber harassment at that conference. So have a great weekend. Um, quarters adjourned. And this is Bennett Kelly um, from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. I love L.A. And uh, happy birthday, Randy. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors.
any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.